Welcome to the Transform Podcast, the podcast devoted to discussions of how the biblical worldview transforms all of life. I'm your host, Corey Barnes. In our Transformed interview series, we meet with experts from various fields to discuss topics relevant to the biblical worldview. My guest today is Dr. Angie O'Neill, professor of English and chair of English, Modern Languages, and Liberal Arts at Shorter University. She's a prolific writer and poet and one of our most popular professors at Shorter. Angie, thanks for taking time to be on the podcast. Oh, well, thanks for inviting me. So, uh, so as we're thinking about your particular discipline, kind of English broadly, but then within English more specifically, poetry mm-hmm. might not be something that comes to our mind as to how that is a particularly uh, a, a, an issue that actually has any particular biblical worldview significance. But I think for us to kind of begin thinking in that way, it might help if you just help us think through what is poetry? How do, how do we define poetry? Yeah. Well, it's a great question, and um, I'm probably going to have to invoke some, uh, or to rely on some minds larger than my own to answer that. And so I would like to eventually talk about two poets, writers who have been profoundly influential to me, the romantic poet Percy Shelley and um, the writer C.S. Lewis. Mm -hmm. And it might seem kind of strange to put those two people you know, figures together because they're very different um, people, as we'll discuss later. But I, I would like to, you know, cite some of their ideas later on. But before I, I do that, I was hoping to start with something maybe more personal. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I had um, an aunt, an Aunt Caroline, who passed away in 2000 um, after having, you know, suffered a devastating stroke about 30 years earlier. And she was an English major at Agnes Scott College, probably in the early 1950s and then went on to study at Radcliffe and then became a Fulbright Scholar at Southampton University in England. And um, I'd like to think that any aptitude I have for my field, I probably inherited from her. And not too long ago, we found in some old family uh, boxes, just boxes and boxes of family letters and and artifacts, because my family doesn't throw anything away. And one of the things we found and much to my delight, was a handwritten transcription that she likely wrote for a school assignment, although I've never been able to find the actual source. But it's about the meaning of poetry. Mm -hmm. And so when I saw that question on your list, I was like, I immediately thought of Aunt Caroline's, um, this just sheet of paper that was probably cut out from some larger school assignment. And it is one of my prized possessions. I had it enlarged over the summer and framed Hmm. and put in my home. And so I'm going to read to you uh, Aunt Caroline and her definition. It wasn't her definition, obviously, but I haven't been able to find it anywhere else. So I'm going to call it her definition of poetry. Poetry is the written expression of the union of spirit and matter through the creative faculty of imagination. The congeniality of poetry is the deep analogy between poetry and the natural world and the nature of man. A creative union everywhere between matter and spirit. The correlative nature of spirit and matter or of soul and body is the proper relation between the two, which is beauty, and beauty is the substance of poetry. And I love that definition. Um, It's obviously influenced by some romantic views of poetry, kind of Wordsworthian, and its emphasis on nature. And in his defense of poetry, the romantic poet Percy Shelley wrote, Poetry acts in another and diviner manner. It awakens and enlarges the mind itself by rendering it the receptacle of a thousand unapprehended combinations of thought. Poetry lifts the veil from the hidden beauty of the world 
and makes familiar objects be as if they were not familiar. It reproduces all that it represents. So Shelley's definition and my aunt's definition, I think, challenge some misconceptions Mm -hmm. about poetry and maybe some objections that people have about poetry. Um, I think a lot of people believe that poetry is abstract, Mm -hmm. that as opposed to what is real, poetry is not real, um, versus what is apprehended, let's say, via reason, you know, in the material world, that it's somehow kind of esoteric and impractical, but really, poetry, at least good poetry, is concrete, Mm -hmm. right? It makes abstract ideas real. And it does that through sensory imagery. It engages our senses and it immerses us in experiences that we have in the, in the material and the natural world. It's the union, like Aunt Caroline's definition says, between spirit and matter, mm-hmm. soul and body. It brings those two things together. And I think here of Ezra Pound's fa- uh, famous quote, go in fear of abstractions. Hmm. So that's what reading poetry should be. It should be visceral. It should be rooted in felt experience. Felt experience. Um, somebody else once said poetry is writing in which eventually the words disappear hmm. um, and you have something very, very real. And so those two definitions, I think, give us a, a starting point for understanding really what poetry does. And it's so different than I think what people think. Yeah, it's you know, some of those definitions that you're reading, it it shows it, it kind of gets us into our next question, because the next question is going to be, OK, well, with this definition of poetry, what implication does it have for us as Christians? Like, why should Christians mm-hmm. have a concern? But you're already yeah. hitting on something that stood out to me in both Aunt Caroline's definition, which, by the way, if you can't track it down eventually, we just need to attribute it to Aunt Caroline. Yeah, right? I think so. so. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know how long you have to keep searching for a source before you can do that. Yeah. But, um, but then in Percy's definition, too, mm-hmm. or, or Shelley's definition as well, right, yeah. is uh, these, uh, you know, it, in, in Aunt Caroline's definition, you talked about both soul and body, and then also talked about spirit and matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, you know, with, with uh, Shelley going forward to talk about it having a divine manner. So yeah. it seems like poetry is, at some level, something that's pushing us into the idea that there's more going on in experience than just the material world around us. So with kind of those definitions in mind that you read, how what then yeah. is a, a particular value of poetry for us as Christians? Yeah. Why should we care about it? Definitely. So if you go back to, to Shelley's definition, even though poetry is rooted in the material, it's not simply a matter of just imitating the material mm-hmm. world or copying the world. We're not talking about something strictly empirical you know, or scientific, because in that same definition, he says poetry makes familiar objects be as if they were not familiar. Mm-hmm. It reproduces what it represents. So it immerses us in the material world only to ultimately point us to something more, mm-hmm. something spiritual, uh, something divine, mm-hmm. as, as Shelley said, which was an interesting choice of words for Shelley because eventually he would get kicked out of Oxford for circulating an atheistic tract, which, you know, I'm not sure he was so much an atheist as much as he just wanted to vex his father yeah. and, and be rebellious. Um, but it's kind of interesting that he, of all people, would talk about the divine, yeah. someone who didn't believe in the divine. It apparently. gets us into some interesting things about how there's a lot of times, that, it, especially in art, atheism seems to become inconsistent. Yeah. I, I like 
talking with students and with readers about this in fairy tale. Mm-hmm. Same kind of is there actually such thing as a secular fairy tale? Right. And mm-hmm. and there's not, but there's a lot of atheists who both read fairy tales and write fairy tales and yes. you know want to to consume other forms of media based on yeah. fairy tales. But the entire genre, right, the entire written form of fairy tale defies an understanding of atheism. And and I think maybe your definitions and the way you're talking about poetry, it seems to be the same thing, that it, it almost defies a materialistic universe. Yes. Even uh, though a lot of people are going to inconsistently continue to, to kind of move down that road, accepting only a, a materialistic universe, right? Exactly. So. Yeah. And so poetry really challenges us to not think in such clear dichotomies between the material and the spiritual bridging that distance between the two, kind of re-enchanting the natural world. The famous romantic critic M.H. Abrams, speaking of kind of romantic ideology in general, called it natural supernaturalism. Mm. But I think what Shelley and and other poets like him and C.S. Lewis ultimately are trying to, to argue is that poetry has currency, like it has application, um, and it has relevance. Shelley went on to say that the great secret of morals is love. This is a direct quote, going out of our nature, an identification of ourselves with the beautiful which exists in thought, action, or person not our own. He said, a man to be greatly good must imagine intensely and comprehensively. He must put himself in the place of another and of many others. The pains and pleasures of his species must become his own, the great instrument of moral good is the imagination and poetry administers to the effect by acting upon the cause Mm. so in his mind poetry or the imaginative faculty is an agent of goodness of um, it is congenial it helps us to develop uh, this idea ultimately I think of social justice and and we need the imagination to develop a kind of social conscious I think he would say Um, and then my favorite line of all Poetry is indeed something divine. It is at once the center and the circumference of knowledge. It is that which comprehends all science and that to which all science must be referred. So that line reminded me very much, and and a long-winded answer to your question, um, reminded me very much of uh, an essay that C.S. Lewis wrote called Is Theology Poetry? Mm -hmm. And as I understand, it was originally presented to the Oxford Debating Society, um, the Socratic Club, which was the place where he was famously defeated. Right. What was her name? I don't remember. It was a, a female Catholic student who yes. just absolutely destroyed him yes. in, in debate. Yeah. And the story goes that that's what it d- devastated him, and he never right. wrote anymore. Yeah, a lot of C.S. Lewis biographers see that as like a transitional moment in his life yeah. where he stopped writing apologetics. I think Alistair McGrath wrote a biography a few years ago that yes. kind of, I think, pushes us away from that. But, yeah, I think yeah. that may be a little dramatic reinterpretation of what happened there but um but in that in that essay he's you know defending christianity against science primarily Mm -hmm. and he says probably the most famous part of the whole essay christian theology can fit in science art morality and the sub-christian religions the scientific point of view cannot fit any of these things not even science itself he says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. Mm-hmm. And what I find interesting is that what, Ar- what Lewis argues about Christianity and theology, Shelley seems to argue about poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, so in this way, I think poetry 
all work of the imagination, um, the, the literary, is kind of a part of theology. Um, it's another tool that God gives us to help us to learn and understand what is true, to develop and grow in wisdom. And I think C.S. Lewis felt that way about the imagination. Yeah. You know, as as well, like Shelley. Um, his greatest works of theology use the imagination, mm-hmm. point to the imagination, and his greatest imaginative works of literary fiction likewise point us to theology. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And there, there's a, you know, a rich history behind all this that I think a lot of times as Christians uh, we don't think about. So one of them being, uh, always think of how important it is that as we look at our Bibles, if you open up to a random page in the Bible, there's a high percent chance that you're going to open up to a page that's set a, that, that's set apart by verse, right? I don't mm-hmm. just mean the numbered verses. I mean, it's listed in verse because it's something more than just rote prose, right? Or right. even just narrative. Mm-hmm. The Bible itself tends to be poetry, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I even think if we understand kind of this classical thought uh, that we get, especially from Aristotle, who's kind of mm-hmm. arguing against Plato on this, is that... Poetry helps us see things as more true and not as mm-hmm. less true, which mm-hmm. isn't the way I think we tend to think of poetry. Mm-hmm. We tend to think of poetry as being less true. But you've already talked to us about how poetry is actually helping us dive further into truth yeah. rather than out of truth. Right. right. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. So so we say all these things, and, and, and I think you've done such a good job you know, showing us yeah, poetry should matter to us as Christians. But you and I are both evangelicals, right? Mm-hmm. We're... Um, we live in a world where at least it feels like, and, and I'm interested to see if you agree with this, it feels like poetry is not valued. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have questions. If, if you agree with that, why is that? And then, you know, what is the, what, what do we do is to, to show the value of poetry to our, to our fellow Christians, especially those in, in our evangelical circles? In that, that same essay, Defense of Poetry, Shelley talks about how the cultivation of poetry is never more to be desired than at periods when from an ex this is a direct quote to you, from an excess of the selfish and calculating principle the accumulation of the materials of external life exceed the quantity of the power of assimilating them to the internal laws of human nature the body has then become too unwieldy for that which animates it um, and so you know like you know like, like Shelley's epic you know Mm -hmm. we live in an age desperately in need of truth Mm -hmm. um and i think i mean the bible is is poetry Mm -hmm. um and and i think poetry and the imaginative faculty um can help i think a a hurting world heal Mm -hmm. if that's you know not too strong of a thing to say. Um, it will never take the replace. Well, I'm not suggesting that poetry somehow replaces scriptural truth, mm-hmm. but I do think that the truths of scripture are apparent in literary works and imaginative works of all kinds, and they are gifts that God has given us. And, and I don't think we necessarily have to just look to Christian writers in order to find those truths and to be, you know, fed so to speak, um, I think many, many writers um, do that, whether they intend to do that or not, um, whether that's Shelley um, or someone like C.S. Lewis, who's squarely in the Christian tradition. Um, there's an essay by Randy Boyagoda called Faith and Fiction, mm. which I would highly recommend. 
And in that article that he wrote for First Things, the blog, First Things, he actually sort of admonishes um, us, the Christian community, for relying too much on the Christian canon mm. and not going outside of that enough and yeah. not reading outside of that because there are rich sources of, of truth to be found there as well. I would certainly see that part of the issue is, uh, again, in particular within evangelical Christianity, which mm-hmm. has, I think so rightly, given us uh, theologies like a high view of Scripture and the sufficiency of Scripture built on doctrines that are sharpened by the Reformation, right? Mm-hmm. Like Scripture alone, sola scriptura. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of times there's a confusion for us as evangelicals about the the difference between sola scriptura, meaning that Scripture alone is ultimate authority, and sola scriptura, that Scripture alone is to be considered for important things. And mm-hmm. so it, it essentially would cut all other forms of communication off is saying, well, that's not scripture, so that's right. not very important. Right. Um, and I think that's just, you know, we, we see this especially with poetry. You deny yourself so much common grace if you mm-hmm. if you don't look at how God has inspired others to use the gift of language to express mm-hmm. truth, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think of, uh, you know, I think of poets that have been important to me um, and, uh, and how full my life has become because of seeing scriptural truths Amplified for me, not that scripture alone wasn't sufficient, not mm-hmm. that scripture doesn't say it well enough, but because in my sinful, broken con- condition, mm-hmm. I need to hear truth in multiple ways and in beautiful ways. And so, Absolutely. you know, when I hear something like, uh, I think of a, a poem that my dad used to to cite all the time. Uh, I think it's Requiem by Robert Louis Stevenson. Mm-hmm. Beneath mm-hmm. the wide and starry sky, dig the grave and let me die. Glad did I live and gladly die and lay me down with a will. Mm-hmm. That's Ecclesiastes, right? Yeah. <laughs> like that's yeah. that's that's the wisdom that we're supposed to yeah. come to out of Ecclesiastes is that if we in, you know ultimately as we enjoy the good blessings that are still in life, right? Even mm-hmm. though there's there's all these other things that we can focus on, that that there is a life well lived to be had. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't take away from the fact that Scripture sharpens that and refines that, pointing us towards Jesus and the gospel. That we can't right. just be content on the good life. Right. But that's not a it's not an anti-scriptural understanding yeah. of truth. Right? Yeah, so. absolutely. I've, I forced my students to read uh, William Blake. Yeah. And, you know, Blake's not exactly an exemplar of the Christian faith. Yeah. You know, but if you can get past his, his ego yeah. <laughs> and his quirkiness um, and just his crazy imaginative, you know, ideas, I think there's great wisdom yeah. um, in, in, in his poems and, and in his artwork as well that point us to truth, you know, um, even if that, or at least it invites us to, you know, and we have the privilege of doing that here at Shorter, you know, take what's written and and apply it to scripture to compare it to ultimate truth. And then that the tension that exists and that I think is good to grapple with that. Yeah. Um, And I I think, you know, I think that Poetry gives us an understanding to take these sometimes non-biblical ideas. And so mm-hmm. I think of a, one that is very popular, right? The poem Invictus. Do, do you remember mm-hmm. who the author is? Oh. I feel really yeah. bad for this. You know, it's, of course, the famous poem, but it has the, the line in the poem, I am the master of my fate. I right. am the keeper of my soul. Right. And so it, it invites us with beauty to consider that truth, right? Mm-hmm. But then I think that as we really dwell on that, the beauty of the statement helps point us to the fact that actually the truth is wanting. As beautiful yeah. as that statement is, 
my experience in life and the witness of Scripture shows me this is, in fact, not true. I'm not the master of my fate. I'm not the keeper of my soul. Mm-hmm. And, and so the, that mistruth stated in beauty mm-hmm. leads, me on a, leads me on a journey and, and, and is a catalyst on a journey mm-hmm. to find what is actually the truth that is also beautiful. Right. right? So. Would it be too strong to say that it is sort of a part of that process of sanctification that we, you know? Yeah. That no. we go through and and it's it's hard and, and it's yeah. uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think reading poetry is uncomfortable. Reading yeah. any kind of literary text can be uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for my students to read William Blake. Mm-hmm. But yet I think that's that's good. Yeah. You know, um, being uncomfortable, being challenged and and having to interpret and decipher and 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 try to arrive at, at meaning and and you know, I think that endeavor is is useful for more than just our intellectual growth, but mm-hmm. also for our spiritual growth as well. Yeah, I, I think locating that within the process of sanctification is mm-hmm. is absolutely for Christians mm-hmm. where it ought to belong. And I yeah. think all of our reading as Christians should be located within the process of sanctification. We yeah. we ought not to be vapid readers in mm-hmm. any way, right? So if God has been good to give us the gift of language. That doesn't mean that I always have to read with this intentionality of you know, I'm reading this because I want to grow in this particular area of my faith, Mm -hmm. but realizing that just whenever I'm reading for the good of the soul and for my own enjoyment, that God and his grace uses even these things to grow me into the person he wants me to be. Right. I just saw a quote from Toni Morrison, you know, who passed away yesterday, I believe, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I'm I'm not going to get the quote exactly, but she said something along the, and it may have been in her speech when she won the Nobel Prize that you know we die Mm -hmm. and that that is probably the meaning of life Mm. and we know that from scripture right wisdom is learning to number our days and she said but through language we can begin to understand you know our purpose Mm -hmm. um and and i i don't know i just thought that was really profound yeah Mm -hmm. yeah there's so much more i wish we i wish we had time to get into all that it's a could nerd out but i i really want to uh I want to ask you as well, one of the things that, uh, you know, as someone who is both a, a scholar of poetry and a poet yourself, uh, I, I want to know if, if you were recommending reading for us as Christians, if there, is there a particular poem that you think that all Christians should? So in other words, mm-hmm. if you could pick one poem for Christians to read, what would it be? Oh, gosh. Okay. Yeah. Well, I would probably stick within the, the Christian canon, mm-hmm. and I would say one Christian poet who is a must-read is Gerard Manley Hopkins. Mm-hmm. A Victorian poet. He was a, an English poet and a Jesuit priest. Mm-hmm. Just a fascinating person. And none of the poems, you know, that have made him famous were published during his lifetime. I think it was maybe 30 years after his death that mm-hmm. any of them were published. Um, and, oh gosh, there, there's two poems. I don't know if I can choose between them. The, the first one would be one of the poems um, in his what he called his terrible sonnets because he suffered greatly from mental illness. I think some speculate it was probably, he was probably bipolar. And um, and he wrote a series of terrible sonnets that really just evoke this sense of despair, those dark moments of life. And one of them is called Carrion Comfort. And it's just so raw and so real and so powerful in the way that he wrestles with despair, trying to find meaning and suffering in the face of the apparent indifference 
of of God. Um, so that that's one that would definitely be and and I. You know, I, I love to have students read it because I think for students who struggle um, with depression in their own lives, I think it it can be wonderful for them to um, glean from from Hopkins and his this this man who lived centuries mm-hmm. before them, who they have something in common with. The second one would have to be something on the sort of opposite end of the spectrum: God's grandeur, mm-hmm. which he might be more well known for yeah. than than the first one where he just celebrates you know in a in a, in a world uh, that that is hurting and so dark that God's comfort mm. you know and God's grandeur that is always close by and so I think both of those poems are kind of like the boundary conditions of human experience yeah um and our you know experience as um as human beings um and so both of them I think are absolute must reads yeah yeah, yeah. he's He's a, uh, my favorite by Hopkins is a uh, pied beauty. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, that, yeah. that opening line of glory be to God for dappled things yes. is just wonderful. And just so, his very unique use of language. Yeah. It's pretty cool. And I think that he can, you know, if, if you're listening and you're not really connected with poetry, I think one of the great things about Hopkins is for, you know, so for just a casual reader of poetry like myself, who's doesn't always understand uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of the complexity of poetic interpretation. If you have, if you have seen farmland and can mm-hmm. read, you'll yeah. love Hopkins, right? Yeah, So because uh, it's so visual. Yeah, that's right. He yeah. does such a good job, and he's connecting to so much uh, creation imagery and agricultural imagery. He's just yeah. a, a wonderful poet. Yeah. Um, well, uh, you know, Angie, one of the things I want to let our listeners know as well is just, uh, you know, I want, I want to kind of turn to to your poetry for just a moment. And I wish we had, I wish we had the full length of the episode just to talk about this. Yeah. I reread a lot of your stuff uh, yes. from um, The Way Things Fall, which I wanted, is that your latest collection that's published? Yeah, that is okay. just the chapbook. Yeah. It was published back in 2017. Mm-hmm. And I'm working on a full length collection that includes many of these poems. So okay. hopefully... You yeah, know, God willing. <laughs> yeah, that's an exciting <laughs> thing happen. as mm-hmm. well. So I, I would encourage our listeners. It's available on Amazon. The way things mm-hmm. fall by mm-hmm. by Angie O'Neill, and so. Uh, but in that in that book, you have so much. I think really deep Christian imagery that's in the book, and I, w- I want to make it clear to listeners: it's not a book that you're going to read and you're going to say, "Oh, yeah, this is obviously a Christian poet," right? Yeah. Unless you actually read deeply, and if you read mm-hmm. deeply, there's so much that you have, especially as you tie in the theme of falling throughout. Yeah. Uh, the the collection of poetry of you're actually you're you're asking deep questions and I think coming up with deep solutions about God. So I wanted to ask mm-hmm. you for just a moment, in what ways does your Christianity influence your poetry? Mm-hmm. And then I also wanted to ask you if you would uh, be willing to read one of your poems for yeah, us. As oh, I'd be delighted. My poetry and my faith. I mean, it was it would just be impossible to separate the two, and it, it's really a hard thing to explain. Um, that I feel like my writing is just, it's such a sweet gift mm. that God has given me. I've always, from from the time I was teeny tiny, just always loved words and mm. just loved English. It was always my favorite subject. It was just always the thing that I recognized that, that I enjoyed and that I was good at. And so from, I think, from the moment God knitted me together, <laughs> And my mother's womb, you know, this was just part of how he made me. And, um, and I, but I didn't actually start writing poetry until a few years ago. So, you know, in my, gosh, late 30s, 40s. Mm. And so um, it, I feel like after, uh, you know, some, some difficult seasons of my life, God just 
just through his grace and mercy, just said, hey, you know, it's time to realize this dream and this gifting that I've given you. And um, and so it's very much an act of, of worship and an act of devotion and spiritual, um, you know, discipleship mm-hmm. and all of those things. Yeah. 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 Well, is there a poem that you would read? For us, I, so sure. so I as again as a fan of your poetry, I would commend our listeners that I think uh, there's just I, I enjoy all of the poems in the book. Mm-hmm. I you know I think I've told you before I love the poem Ezekiel, yeah. which is a, a wonderful poem. Yeah, um, but there's so many, and so I didn't know if there was one that you would like to read for us. I, mean, uh, I, I love Ezekiel as well. Yeah, and um, can I read from the book sure, that yeah, you yeah, have? Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> I didn't bring that one. Um, so Ezekiel is is inspired by the town that I grew up in. Yeah. And it was also the town where my father and his family all, and including my Aunt Caroline. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah. And so my childhood, and, and this is a very romantic idea as well, you know, that in, in my childhood, I just, I, it's almost like a, a magical, you know, kind of Narnia-like place, you know, yeah. in my imagination. And so inspiration usually comes from from there Mm -hmm. and so this poem was inspired after having gone back to my hometown college park georgia and um and and it was a very unusual writing experience and that i came home and it was almost like the poem just composed itself Mm -hmm. and that hardly ever happens but it's it's about that trip back home and um and i'll just i'll just read it and let it speak for itself yeah this is ezekiel Climb the streets of your first town, the one that still lives in the rill of time, there in the melting blue before rivers. Go back and make snow angels in the shallow dusting of thought, swing on the branches of unknowing. Revisit and eat the scrolls that tell the story of your youth. Search for old friends hanging on memory like gossamer. Tell them what you've learned. Confess to them your faults. Whisper all you've lost and retreat to those early places to feel the weight of the sturdy wood beneath, wrapped tight in a soft lawn of cotton blanket. Recall the hours scrubbing dirt from your fingers, splinters coaxed from skin with tweezers. Don't forget about the pine straw pillows, no fear of ditch water, those close encounters under a broken porch light. Walk roads with names you no longer remember and wander along dirt paths that lead to forest dells. Drop sticks in the creek and watch them float east towards the center. Retrace your steps and find rest under a thick quilt of forgetting like a strong arm nestled in the arch of your back. Climb the streets of your childhood, the place that still holds you, haunts you like a dream like a close, constant hand on your shoulder. Mm. That's so good. I want to thank you, Angie, for uh, writing as a Christian poet. And uh, and I certainly have found your poetry to be a part of, of my sanctification as I've read it. So, oh, thank you so much. Yeah. And thank you for having me. It's been a privilege to have Dr. O'Neill on the podcast. And I really do mean it whenever I say that she's one of my very favorite poets and writers. One of the things this conversation has reminded us of is that for Christians, we understand that God gives us all truth, ultimately to point ourselves towards Him. 
And as we have this conversation on poetry, we find that God doesn't just give us the content of truth to point us toward him, but he also gives us the form in which we express truth to point us towards him. The fact that God allows us to use such beautiful words to express truth and explore truth show us that we must be pointed towards the truth of a God who is beautiful and glorious. As I consider the power of poetry, one of the most powerful things that we can consider are the words of the Bible itself. Whenever we look at the Bible and consider the fact that God gives us good words, sometimes through the mouths of poets, but most preciously through the words of Scripture itself, often presented to us in poetry, we are reminded of the words of Psalm chapter 19, beginning in verse 9 and reading through verse 10. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than abundance of pure gold and sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb. Good and beautiful words about a good and beautiful God. Thanks so much for listening to the Transform podcast. Transformed is a resource provided by Shorty University, a Christian liberal arts university in Rome, Georgia. For more resources provided by Transformed, including podcast episodes, book reviews, and articles, check out transform.shorter.edu. For more information on Shorter University, go to shorter.edu. Tune in next week as we continue to explore issues related to the biblical worldview. Thanks so much for joining us. Take care.